Thank you, that was beautiful. So that's tonight at 6 p.m. If you can't make it till like 6.30, come anyway. If you can't make it till 7, come. Just come. The, the money that we raise will be used to support our Pathfinders when they go to Oshkosh in August. So thank you, Rudy. That was beautiful. We'll see you tonight at 6. Did you like that? Amen. Anybody coming tonight? All right. Wonderful. Being that it's Father's Day weekend, oh, I also want to say welcome to anyone listening on WYAW, our radio, and to anyone who might be listening in Puerto Rico today. I have thought that there might be somebody listening. Being that it's Father Day, Father's Day weekend, being that my sons are here and that we have dedicated my grandson, don't they stop me, uh, grandson, back there somewhere. I've been thinking about what it means to be a father. I think about my father and my stepfather and the men that they were. They were good men, but they were typical men. Men who say manly things at manly times. Things that don't always make any sense except to a dad as he's saying it in the moment and then it makes perfect sense. And that's really all that matters, that it makes sense to the dad when he's saying it. I swore to myself when I'd hear my dad say something manly and something dad-like that I would never say such things to my sons when I had sons or children, but I probably did say all of these things that I'm going to share with you at one time or another. Perhaps you, my manly men friends, have said things such as this. Funny things that parents, dads, say to their children. When you're fighting with your siblings in the back seat, your parent or your dad might say something like, do I have to turn around? Do I have to stop this car and turn around and go back home? I guess somebody else heard that one. Is that me? Thank you, Zion. When you're playing around at bedtime upstairs and your parents are downstairs and your dad might yell up, do I have to come up there? Yes, you do. I'm out of control, Dad. When I would do my chores and then ask my dad what I got in return for my chores, he would say something like, what do you get? You get to live here another day in my house. When we would complain about not liking the food cooked for dinner and asked if there was anything else that we could eat, my dad would say, we have two dinner choices tonight. Take it or leave it. If I didn't get my way and I was crying, my dad would say, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. And I'm not saying that one's good at all, but I heard it. If I would run in the house and leave the door open, my dad would say, shut the door. Do you think we live in a, a barn? If I didn't pick up all my toys and my dad would step on a toy, he would say, pick up your toys. I could fall and break my neck. I thought that was the only thing that ever happened to a parent, is that they always broke their neck. It seemed to be. If I fell, I could break my neck. Nothing else, not a twisted ankle, not a sprained finger, but just a broken neck. If I didn't eat all my food, my dad would say something like, eat all your, eat all your vegetables. There are poor kids in China that would love to have this food. Am I the only one that heard these things? Oh my goodness, in my mind, I put this list together. I saw you guys rolling, raising your hands. Amen, Pastor. Amen, Pastor. Maybe it's me. Thank you. My goodness. There's a lot of half-eaten vegetables arriving 
addressed to somebody in China, and they open it up, and there's like four pieces of broccoli. I'm like, what in the world? It's from little Johnny in America. Now, not all of the things that parents or dads would say to their children are funny or even oddly humorous. Some of them are mean or corrosive or not good for your self-esteem. Things such as this. Maybe you heard some of these things as you were growing up. What are you? Stupid? You will never amount to anything. Why can't you just get this? You are lucky to have me. You would be lost without me. No one would ever want to marry somebody like you. You're stupid. You're fat. You're ugly. You're dumb. You're worthless. You might as well give up. You'll never make it. Don't even try. Why can't you get this through your thick skull? I did hear that one. Get out of my sight. Now, when we hear things such as this, our self-esteem, our self-worth can just plummet and we question who we are, if we have a right to even be here on this earth, and why are we even taking up space? Why are we even breathing? We hear these messages and they get implanted in our brain and they're replayed. They're like a tape that's on rewind over and over again. They're ingrained in us. We might grow up physically. We might be mature. We might get gray hair. We might look like an adult. But on the inside, there's a little child that's just looking for validation. So today, as we continue in our series, the seasons change and we talk about choices. Choices are very important and they allow and affect the way our adult life goes and the way that the seasons of our life proceed. Because as you make choices, this affects the life you have, which will affect the way your life goes. You see, our lives are built on the foundation and the power of choice. God created us free will beings with the power to think and to do. Choice is everything. Hear me on this. Young people especially, choice is everything. When God created you in His image, that doesn't mean that God has two arms and two legs and two feet, but it means that God gave you a brain that you can think, that you can differentiate this from that and light from dark. You're not an animal who just goes out and hunts food. You're not controlled by your most base instinct. You can choose things. You can validate the way you want your life to be, and you can make choices based on your goals and your priorities and your values. That's what it means to be created in the image of God for human beings. God has created the world. He created all this on day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. And at the end of day six, He created people in His Nothing else was created in the image of God except the man and the woman. You are the crown of God's creation. Can somebody say amen? This morning, I want us to consider a choice that is more important than any other choice you would make. It's the choicest choice. This fundamental choice will impact every other choice you make, and this choice will ultimately determine your destiny. Because hear me, destiny is not a matter, matter of chance. Destiny is a matter of choice. Now, a lot of things are out of your control. 
who you were born to, the country you were born in, the, the way you were made physically, whether you are completely healthy or whether you have some sort of challenges and setbacks. You were born into wealth, whether you got a break, whether you knew the right people. As far as your earthly destiny, it might be true that that's chance. But as far as your heavenly destiny, that is 100% choice. If you would turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 22, we'll read a scripture which ties into that. I will open mine to my bookmarker that my son made me. Can somebody say amen for the bookmarker? Is it all right to read my Bible in church? All right, if you turn to Matthew chapter 22. Now, if you've been dozing for the past hour, I don't know how you could. It's now time to wake up. Because I brought in my VBS crew and I brought in Rudy to give you the best stuff we have today. I even brought in my family. So we need to be alive in the Lord today. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 38. Don't they style this. It here is, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them said, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with our entire mind. Which means that the greatest worship we can give God is to choose to love Him. And one way to choose to love God and to honor the creation and the life He has given you is by using the brain that He has given you. So when your parent, like mine, might say, can't you get that through your thick skull? They are insulting the image of God within you. So you choose to use the brain that He has given you. Choosing to love God is more than a checklist of behaviors. It's more than attending church. It's more than giving money. It's more than agreeing to a, a system of beliefs. It's an encounter between your heart and God's heart, between your mind and His mind. You see, we have been blessed with the greatest computer ever created, and that is the human brain, and with it we can reason our way through issues of faith. So when God says, <clears throat> when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, He's not messing around. He's not just reading some list of things. He knows exactly what He's saying with your emotions, with your whole life, with your brain. God isn't stupid. He didn't make you stupid. He made you to be a walking wonder of worship for Him. That's why Psalm 42 says, it's like the deep calling the deep. You see, the deepness of God, the mystery of God, wants to call out to you to, to pursue Him. So knowing God's not a matter of lining up 28 fundamental beliefs and saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, therefore I am a believer. It's a matter of giving Him your heart and saying, I'm willing to enter this journey with God. I'm willing to walk with Him. I don't know where it's going to take me. I don't know why I'm following, but I'm following. That's faith. 
See, the church is guilty. The church is guilty of teaching easy answers to the difficult questions of life and taking away the challenges and the struggles and not allowing people to struggle with their faith. Why is there suffering? Why does God feel distant from me? Why do we try and answer that question for people? Let them struggle with it. Let them find God in the silence. Let them find God in the darkness. The solution is often found in the pain, not in the medicine that takes away the pain. So we provide answers without considering the questions that people are asking. And people think that Christianity is knowing knowledge about God. But rather, it's a living, intimate relationship of knowing God. Somebody say amen while I'm drinking water. That's why Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you may know God, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So Christianity, hear me, is about choosing a living, loving relationship with a living, loving God who wants to recreate his image in you one day at a time, one moment at a time, one choice at a time. He wants us to know him as he knows us. Churches that encourage thinking that produce Christian churches that encourage thinking produce Christians that have a firm foundation to their faith. People that don't think don't grow. The average church member, and I'm not talking about any of you because we're not average. We're definitely above average. The average church member is not excited or growing in the truth. They are bored with the facts that they've heard poured out to them about the Bible. So we know all these facts and all these figures, things like how many guards were at the tomb when Jesus was resurrected? What were the names of the twelve disciples? How many gates are there in the New Jerusalem? How tall was the statue of Daniel? And Daniel, uh, how tall was the statue in Daniel chapter two? When was the temple rebuilt? How many fish were in the net when Jesus told the disciples to throw their net on the other side? Who can recite the book of the Bible in order? How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? We line up all these facts and we think, yes, I like facts. I like knowing there was 153 fish in that net. I like knowing there's 12 gates. I like knowing that the statue was 90 feet high. I like knowing he had 12 disciples. I like to feel smart, but that doesn't mean I know God. That means I know facts. As Bob Dylan said, how many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? The answer, my friend... Blowing in the wind. You see, these are facts. These are good facts. Many of them are profitable for learning and building your faith, but they are not the questions that people are asking. We should not be concerned about too much thinking going on in the church. We should be concerned about too much ignorance in the church. We need to teach people to reach biblically-based conclusions, to make decisions based on on biblical truth, not follow a checklist of do's and don'ts. People need skills to choose better. They don't need to be told what to think. They need to be taught how 
to think, how to make decisions. Biblically, we don't need to spoon-feed people the truth, but we need to create in them a hunger to find the truth for themselves. That's why Matthew 5-6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. As you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God, you have the biblical promise by Jesus Himself that you will find it. So if you say, I wonder if I pursue this path, if I will meet Jesus on this road, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, who pursue me, because you shall find it. You shall be filled. But then when you're filled, your desire is not over. Your desire then is for more. And you continue on the path. When we don't teach people to think and to choose biblically, they require rules and lists of do's and don'ts, like a child needs a, a, a bunch of rules, put it on the, on, the, on the refrigerator. It's people who follow rules, do things like the Pharisees when they nail Jesus to the cross on a Friday, but make sure he gets taken down by sunset so they can keep the Sabbath. That's great rule following, totally devoid of the Spirit. Totally devoid of love, but it's, it's following the rules perfectly. Crucify people before the Sabbath. Get them down off the cross so you can worship. Can somebody say mercy? So I got a piece of advice for you. And it's free to you today. It's my little Father's Day gift to each of you, gentlemen. Don't do anything because your church tells you to do it. You can do it. You cannot do it, but read the Bible for yourself. Think, reason, pray. Here's the key. Submit yourself to the Holy Spirit's leading and then make a choice. But don't read and then say, no, I don't want to do that. At least be honest with yourself. I choose not to do that. I choose to do what I want to do versus what the Bible seems to be saying. Whether it means to be humble or to uh, let somebody else have the lead on something or keep quiet or go ask for forgiveness. Whatever it is. You see, that, that might be too biblical to humble yourself in front of other people. So we want to keep our pride even though our heart's telling us to go apologize or something like that. Now I'm not saying do whatever you want. I'm talking about submitting yourself to Him in love, trusting Him in all things. He is there in moments that are good to you. He is there in those moments that seem empty. He is there when things go well. He is there when you are in the valley and you're feeling the flames of the fires of the furnace licking at you. He is there. He will never leave you or forsake you. Why? Por qué? Because you are a child of God made in His image. And He has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And if your parents ever gave you a bad message, or an incorrect message, or made you feel worse than yourself, it's probably because they did not know that they themselves were made in the image of God. Or they were in a weak moment. But you need to realize that your parents are and were people they're humans, they're flesh and blood, and they make mistakes. And so, if you heard something incorrect from your parents, and they were wrong. You were not stupid. You are made in the image of God. You are a daughter of the King. You are a son of the King. You are a prince. You are a princess of royalty. And 
And if you make a choice with your mind based on that information, and then you affirm it with your words, and then you follow it through with your actions, which are also guided by choice based on your values, then you will be headed in the right direction. I don't know where that direction will take you, but I know that's the right direction. So I will, I will tell you this, you need to learn to be the boss of you. Yes, the Lord is your shepherd, but the Lord wants a flock of voluntary sheep. That's pretty good, isn't it? I like that. Yes, the Lord is your shepherd, but he wants a voluntary flock of sheep. He does not take any losers that just follow behind. He wants you to make a choice to follow him. So he wants you to lift up your eyes and see that he has provided all that you need to be whom he has called you to be. He has given you a brain. He has given you the power of choice. He has given you eyes to see. He has given you a Savior. He has sent his Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You see, freedom is sacred to God. And he will not force himself upon you. He will not force you to be gentle. He will not force you to be unselfish. He will not force you to be kind. He will not force you to love Him. Because God knows that love cannot be forced. This means that God is sovereign or God is over the entire universe, but He has made you, because He has given you free will, He has made you sovereign over yourself. And you must choose to love Him based on that He loves you. That's why Scripture says this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a propitiation for our sins. So when you see the love of God, the response from your heart should be love back in response. You see, I don't want to be part of the frozen chosen. People who feel they're in relationship with God but then are afraid to make a move left or right because they're afraid of doing something wrong, being held up in the hand of a vindictive God who will throw them into the fiery pit of hell. God has not called us to be frozen, but God has called us to follow. And you follow, and you learn, and you grow, and you can enjoy, and you can worship when you feel loved, when you feel safe. And that's why one of my goals and one of my values is to make this church a safe place where people can come as they are, literally like dressed however they want to come. They can come from any place they have been in their life and feel like they can come here and find acceptance and understanding and love. That's the church I'm going to pastor. That's going to, that's, that's the church I'm, did I say that wrong? That's the kind of church I want to pastor. That's the kind of pastor I'm going to be. That's the kind of congregation. That's the kind of family I'm assuming we all want to be. If I'm wrong, somebody can let me know. This is a place where people are accepted. This is a place where we can grow in our faith together. This is a place where we feel free to be who we are. We're not frozen in our list of rules. But we feel accepted. We feel called to be free. Not frozen. You see, because there's no shortcuts. There's no secrets or magic spiritual diets. 
choosing God and following him, I'm sorry to tell you this, well, maybe you like a crock pot. You see, when I was a kid, my mom would cook a lot in a crock pot because she left for work about 7.30 and she came home about 5, so we ate often out of a crock pot. Anybody know what a crock pot is? Now they have these things called instant cookers, which I think is just a disguised crock pot. I could be wrong. I don't have one. But my mom would take a slab of beef, and she'd put it in this crock pot, and she'd put in peas and carrots and all the other goodies, you know. And then when she came home at 5, there would be this beautiful meal, ladies and gentlemen, while little Joey sat there at the table and made his mom do all the work. It was wonderful. She had worked all day, now she had to serve me too. The Christian relationship is more like a crock pot, whereas many of us expect it to be more like a microwave, where you just put it in there, hit 30 seconds, and it's done. I wish it was more like a microwave than a crock pot, but it's not. But God's taking you, you see, and he's got you in the crock pot of love. There's a good sermon title. Somebody write me that song, The Crock Pot of Love. We'll do it at a VBS, which is all about baking and cooking. He's taking you and he puts you in there and he marinates you to get all those herbs and spices going, you see. And he's cooking you and there's steam in there and there's heat in there and he's, he's changing you from one thing into another at the end of the glorious presentation of life and love and fragrance. We become the sweet aroma of Christ. Remember, Scripture says that. The microwave food, sometimes you zap it too much and then it's, it's too much, you know. The Christian walk is a crock pot. It's not a microwave. And you're going to fall at times. And you're going to make the wrong choice at times. But see, failure is necessary in your pursuit of Christ. And as you walk with Him, as your journey continues, you'll face new challenges and new seasons in your life. And as you enter these new seasons, you enter them perhaps with some trepidation, not knowing where it's going to go, but you enter them holding the hand of the One who loves you forever. And as you walk with Him, you know that He will lead you through it as you make good choices. You can't make bad choices and then say, where's God? One good choice. Another good choice. As you follow Him, as you pursue Him, you make good choices. He turns up the heat in the crockpot a bit, you see. And you stay connected to the giver of all good things. One of my friends is a, uh, a trainer, and she put on her Facebook the other day, trainers like to put these long things about how to work out and how to eat. and depends on what they're selling, whether it's keto or beach body or something, you know. But she says, I got news for you. There's no shortcut to it. Find something you like to do. She meant like run or lift weights or classes or bike. Find something you like to do and stick to it. That's the only path for success. And it's true. Everybody's looking for a pill or, a, or some sort of drink that you drink it or, or some belt around your waist or something under your pillow while you sleep and then the pounds are going to melt away. I'd have taken it or worn it or been drinking it if that's as easy as it was. Can somebody say amen? Am I up here just doing this all for myself? He has called you to something higher. Thank you, son. And he invites you to journey with him. One choice, one step at a time. And as you go through the seasons of your life, spring, Things are blooming. Things are looking good. 
summer, it's beautiful. Look at me, aren't I great? Fall, you see changes, but they're not always changes of life. Winter, it's cold, it's dark. Where is he taking me? As you go through those changes and those seasons, you make them one at a time, and in the end you find that he is still holding your hand. One choice at a time. Second, thank you. I, I've been mentioning a lot how uh, we need to choose God, but the passage that uh, Miss Carol read earlier today, it says three times in there that God chose us, and that's what I wanted you to notice. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God chose us, and that's why we have the power and the privilege to choose him. So I want you to, if you can leave with nothing else, leave with that. God created you, and God has chosen you. That's very simple, but yet very powerful. It's very profound. It's the heartbeat of Christianity. God made you and chose you, and you have the privilege of choosing him back. And that's where your mind, your intellect, your, your will comes into it. You must accept him back. Choose to journey with him. That's the heartbeat of Christianity. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Bless each one here today. Thank you for loving us, for choosing us. And I pray each one here has or will choose you back. You love us. And out of that, a response of love has the... Uh, possibility of springing forth. So bless us this Father's Day weekend. I pray for my manly friends who are fathers, stepfathers, grandfathers, soon-to-be fathers, someday will be fathers, uncles, brothers, cousins. Bless them as they seek to represent you in their families and at work and in this world, in schools. Bless us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for choosing us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.